So over the past several Sundays, we've had some messages about passion. A couple of weeks ago, I did a sermon titled, The Spirit of Adventure. I don't know if you were here to hear that, but I said, I don't want Silver Creek Fellowship to be a nice church. I want it to be a dangerous church. I also said that I didn't want to go mellow as I went on in life. Do you remember that? Did you see that message? If you didn't see it, it's a good one. <laughs> so check it out online. Um, last week, Kurt talked about being passionate. As part of his message, he shared an object lesson. He had a pump right up here in the front. Do we have a picture of that? Yeah, that's what Kurt shared last week. And you see, Jesus is the source of, of our passion. That's the flow. <clears throat> in the middle um, spigot, he said, is kind of the outflow of ministry things that we do to bless other people. But he also shared there's another spigot. You can't see it as well. It's clear around to the back side that he called life. Life is that lower spigot that just tends to drain the passion out of you. <clears throat> and it can't be avoided, some things in life. Our health, our age, those things happen. But there are some things in life that can be adjusted decisions that we make. And I want to talk to you about that because what I want you to be is fully passionate as is possible. So I want to talk about how to close that bottom spigot, that life spigot, so that not as much of your passion leaks out. One day a man walked up to Jesus and said, Jesus, out of the whole Bible, if I, if I don't get anything else out of it, what's the most important thing I need to know? And Jesus said, well, let me summarize the whole Bible in two sentences. Because if you get these two things, you got it made, Jesus says. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. There is no greater commandment than these. So Jesus says there's really only two things that matter in life. Love God, love people. That's what matters most. Love God, love people. But he didn't just leave it at that. He also gave some definition to it. He said, you don't just love God and you don't just love people with some kind of wimpy, half-hearted, mellow way. He said it with what? With all your heart and with all, you help me here now, with, I don't preach as much as I used to and I need some help with you guys. He said, all your mind and with all your strength. I love this verse in the message paraphrase. It says, love the Lord God with all your passion, all your prayer, all your intelligence, and all your energy. What Jesus says, if you want to follow me, then I want you to give it all you got with all your heart. you got to live with passion. When the Bible says with all your mind, it's speaking about our intellect. And when the Bible <clears throat> talks about all your strength, it's talking about your physical ability. And, but when it says with all your heart, he's actually not talking about the body part that we call our heart. He's speaking about your inner self our inner desire, our inner will. What he's talking about is what's going on deep inside you. Colossians 3.23 says, Whatever you do, do it with all your heart as unto the Lord and not as unto men. So God says, no matter what you do, do it with all your heart. Which I think means do it enthusiastically. Do it passionately. Friends, never do anything half-hearted. If it's worth doing it at all, then do it with all your heart. Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, you've got to have some passion with all your heart. Notice something 
in Romans 12.11. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep, circle that word in your bulletin, but keep your spiritual fervor. Keep tells me it's not automatic. You don't stay on fire for God automatically. It's got to be maintained. You've got to stoke the fire. That's why Paul tells Timothy, fan into flame. <clears throat> he says in 2 Timothy 1.6, you received a gift from God when I placed my hands on you to ordain you. Now I'm reminding you to fan that gift into flames. It's something you've got to do. You've got to keep it. You've got to fan it. Friends, every one of us was born with inborn God-given passion. You were wired that way. God gave you feelings. <clears throat> he gave you emotions. He created you with the ability to feel what's going on in the world. You were wired that way, naturally. But years and years and years of socialization tend to push it down. You've been trained that way. But don't do that. We've been trained to keep a lid on our emotions in public, but passion is a natural thing for human beings. Take a look at little kids. <clears throat> they can't hide their feelings if they try to. Kids are extremely passionate. They feel deeply about everything. They often go from low to high with nothing in between. So what happened to you? Where did your zest go? What happened to your zip? What happened to that enthusiasm for life? Some of you can remember back to the day you graduated from high school. It's a long time ago for some of us. That was a pretty passionate day for many of us because for me, it was over. All the required education was behind. If I needed to get any more, then it was my choice. As a high school graduate, you thought, watch out world, here I come. You had great hope and Great enthusiasm and great passion as you entered adult life. So what happened? Well, you got a job. You started a new routine. You had bills to pay. Then the everyday stuff began to sink in. And your zest and your zip and the joy in your life, it just begins to fade as that bottom spigot of life just begins to drain things away. Life becomes routine and ordinary and it, it, it turns into a same place, same time, same thing over and over again. And the dreams that you had begin to gather dust, and you lose your zip. But don't be surprised. It's actually quite predictable pattern. Here's how it works. The first thing, you get the blahs. Same old, same old. The second thing, well, you begin to readjust your expectations in life. You tell yourself, well, I'm, I'm not quite as idealistic as I used to be. I, and instead of being idealistic today, I'm more realistic. The third thing, <clears throat> you begin to question things around you. Is it really that important? Inevitably, if you let this spiral go on, you begin to get little aches and pains in your body. And finally, at, at full-blown, it can turn into a case of depression. What happened? Why don't you have the zip that you used to have? Why don't you still feel the same way about your career that you used to? Why don't you still feel the same enthusiasm about your marriage that you used to? Why aren't you on fire for God? What happened to you? Well, let me tell you what I think happened. You've fallen prey to one or more of life's passion killers, and that's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk to you about <clears throat> a checklist that you could look at and maybe figure out 
Why do I have the blahs? Why have I lost my zest? Why am I not as passionate as I used to be, as I want to be? Where is my enthusiasm gone? For the Lord and for everything. Because chances are that one or more of the things I'm going to share with you today are on your list of passion killers. And the number one thing, I'll just say it, is an unclear purpose. I think living without purpose is the most common reason people lack passion. Without a purpose for living, I mean, why even bother? Why put forth the effort? Why get out of bed in the morning? If you have no reason for using energy, why would you? Why would you expend energy if you don't have a purpose? The fact is, if you don't know the purpose of your life, it can lead you into a pretty serious case of pointlessness. And the longer you go through life without clarifying God's purpose for you, the less passion you're going to have. Because passion and purpose go together. You might write that down if you're taking notes. Passion and purpose go together. Maybe you feel like the prophet Isaiah as he was moping to God. Isaiah 49 verse 4. I have labored to no purpose. I have spent my strength in vain and for nothing. Have you ever felt like that? Without purpose? Without passion? See, on the other hand, a clear purpose will create passion. And the greater your purpose in life, the more passionate you're going to be and the more fully alive you're going to be. If you have a little dinky purpose, like just living for yourself, then you're not going to have that much passion in life. If you have a medium-sized purpose, well, then you'll have a moderate amount of passion. But if you get a big God-sized purpose for your life, which is huge, being what God wants you to be, what He created you to be, following His plan, then you're going to have real passion and real enthusiasm in life. There's nothing more significant in this world than being what God made you to be, doing what God made you to do, thinking like God made you to think. There's no greater cause, and it creates the greatest amount of passion in life. The second thing, after an under an unclear purpose is an unemployed talent. God created you with certain gifts, with certain talents, certain abilities, and He gave them to you for a purpose. If you're stuck in a job or a career that ignores your talents or minimizes your talents, it's no wonder you've lost your passion for life because there's a boredom factor that creeps in. If, you, if you've got a job that uses 30% of your talent, that means there's 70% of your brain power is unemployed, and it leads to boredom. No wonder you are going to lose your passion, because you're not being used the way God intended for you to be used. But here's something you need to know. You will never find a job or career that uses 100% of your talents, because God never meant for you to find total fulfillment in your career. That's why you need to have a ministry. That's why you need to be doing something outside of your career. That's why you need to have a place where you can use those talents that you're not able to use at work or in other ways. Because God wants to use you to bless people. God wants to use you to make the world a better place. The Bible says God puts you on this earth and His purpose is for you to be a blessing. He has a place for you, a part for you to play. You discover that place by discovering what you're good at and finding your talents and and it says in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 17, each one of you should live his life with the gifts that the Lord has given him. 
So in order to do that, you need to discover what they are. You need to know what your gifts are, what your talents are. Discover what you're good at and then find a place where you can use it to serve. A third passion killer might step on a couple toes here, an unbalanced schedule. Probably all of us struggle with this one. And it doesn't really matter if you're overworked or underworked. Either way, you tend to lose your passion. Why? Because we need balance in our life. We need to balance our life between input and output. <clears throat> it says in 1 Timothy verse, chapter 4, verse 7, take the time and the trouble to keep yourself spiritually fit. You know, there are some people that are always giving, giving, giving. They're always doing something or always helping someone. They're always serving. They're always sharing. Some people are always giving, but they never take time to recharge. In fact, if you're like that, you're probably thinking right now, I don't want to listen to this message. I'm going to go home and take a nap. Some people have what I call an overactive mercy gland. And if that's you, you may be suffering from fatigue. And eventually what happens if you're always giving out and not taking in, you'll get burned out and you just stop caring. You stop caring about yourself. You stop caring about other people. Eventually, you might even stop caring about God. But there's a flip, there's a flip side to this. There's always people who are always taking in. They read books, and they attend seminars, and they listen to messages and go to classes. They're always learning, but they never do anything about it. That's one of the problems with too much Bible study. Can you actually have too much Bible study? Well, sure you can. That's why James 1.22 says, Be doers of the word and not hearers only. Hey, I'm totally in favor of Bible study. I think it's awesome. But you have to study the word, you hear the word, but don't stop there. Do something about it. If you study the Bible and never do anything with it, it will eventually just become words on a page. The Bible is something to be done in our lives. The purpose of studying the Bible is so that the message of the Bible makes a difference in our life. The fourth area that can kill passion in your life is an unconfessed sin. There are a few things that can steal our joy more quickly or rob you of your passion more uh, faster than unconfessed sin. Because what happens with unconfessed sin is guilt gets a hold of us. Psalm 38, verse 4, David says, My guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. I am bowed down and brought low. And some of you are trying to be enthusiastic about life, but you've got a deep-rooted guilt that's ruining your joy. When you have deep-rooted guilt, it seems like it would be a very difficult problem to solve, but it's not. Actually, fortunately, it's one of the very easiest problems to solve. 1 John 1.9 says this, If we confess our sins, God can be trusted to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you feel guilty, if you're weighed down with guilt and shame, God says, just bring it to me. Tell Him the truth about who I am and what I've done and ask Him to forgive. And I ask Him to help me start living a new way again. We need to keep short accounts with God. Instead of letting it go on for a month or a week or a year or maybe even a minute, as soon as I know there's something wrong, I immediately go to God with it. 
I confess it, and then I get back to living again. Actually, that's what some of you that are here today need to do. You need to tell God, God, there's an area of my life that I know is not right, and you know it's not right, so I confess it to you, and I ask your forgiveness. It's that simple. Confess your sin. Actually, God already knows. So tell God, God, you were right. I was wrong. I'm sorry. A fifth area that can kill your passion is an unresolved conflict. You ever start the day thinking, this is going to be a great day? Then you have a fight with your husband or your wife or your boss or your kids. Maybe you had that discussion on the car on the way to church this morning. What happens? You started with good intentions, but you have a conflict, and all the zip goes out of your doodah. I mean, it just, it's just tough. It's one of those things when an unresolved conflict just begins to eat away at us, and the passion just begins to drain out of us. It's like letting the air out of a tire. It just goes flat. And sometimes life's like that. It just goes flat. Some of you are in situations at home or at work where there's a constant conflict. You can't do anything about it, really. You can't change it. So what do you do? How do you keep that from draining the passion from your life? Let let me tell you what I think you should do about it. If you want to be passionate, no matter what conflict you're living in or around, you've got to to avoid three passion-killing emotions. Number one, resentment. Number two, jealousy. And number three, prolonged anger. Resentment, jealousy, prolonged anger. Let me read you two verses from the book of Job. Job 5.2. Resentment destroys the fool, and jealousy kills the simple. Job 18, verse 4. You are only hurting yourself with your anger. Resentment, jealousy, and anger. Those three words will kill your passion every single time. That's why God tells us forgiveness is so important. This is what God teaches us again and again and again that he wants us to forgive people because he knows when we don't forgive other people, it does something to us. You probably heard me say this many, many times, but holding on to resentment and bitterness is like drinking poison and hoping the other person dies. When I hold on to my anger, when I hold on to resentment, I'm allowing other people to control my emotions. And when that happens, the passion just drains out of my life. So I want to get my passion back. i got to learn to forgive and to let go. The sixth thing that destroys your passion, an unsupported life. Sometimes you lose your passion for life just because you're lonely, because you're trying to get through life all on your own. And we talk about this all the time. God never meant for you to go through life alone. It doesn't matter whether you're married or single, you need relationships. Human beings were created for relationship. God wired us up that way. We need each other. Will someone just say like amen to that? We need each other. When God created the heavens and the earth, you know what he had to say about it all? He said, it's good. God created on the first day light, and he said, come on, it's good. On the second day, the sky was created, and God said, On the third day, dry land, seas, plants, and trees were created. And God said, on the fourth day, the sun, moon, and stars were created. God said, on the fifth day, the creatures that live in the sea and creatures that fly were created. And God said, 
On the sixth day, animals that live on the land, finally human beings made in the image of God. And God said, yeah. And are you starting to see a trend here? By day seven, God finished his work of creation. And he said, Genesis 1.31, God saw all that he had made. And it was very good. Then in the next chapter, all this very good creation, God comes on the scene. He says in Genesis 2.18, the Lord God said, it is not good. It is not good for man to be alone. God saw that Adam was alone. It was not good. That's why the most serious form of punishment ever devised by man is called solitary confinement. You aren't made to live life without other people. You need support. You need people in your life who will be there for you when you're going through all the problems that life brings. When that bottom drain in your life is draining out faster than your input's coming in, you need people around you to help you. How many of you know that Christians go through the same problems everybody else goes through? Jesus said God makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good. And he sends rain on the just and on the unjust. When you you became a Christian, were, were you thinking like, no more problems for me? If you were thinking that, you know, shake your head, something's stuck. Jesus said, in this life, you'll have trouble. You will have trouble in this life. You'll have problems. And some of you have problems right now that you can't solve on your own. Some of you have issues with your health. Some of you have issues with your finance. Some of you have issues with your marriage. Issues that are too big for you to solve on your own. And you need other people to encourage you. Actually, sometimes you need other people to give you a kick in the seat of the pants when you need it. When you're going through life without anybody, when you have this attitude, I can handle this on my own, the passion is really quickly going to drain out. Ecclesiastes 4.9 says, Two are better than one, because if one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man who falls down and has no one to help him up. Friends, if you're not in a small group of some sort, you're just cheating yourself. Who's going to be there when you need some help? Some of you are thinking, I don't need help. If you're a person that thinks, I don't need help, let me clue you in. That is evidence that you really do need help. You need to make some good, godly friends. You need some brothers and sisters in Christ who will stand by you. If you try to face life all alone without anybody else helping you out, your passion is going to go out really quick. Number seven, probably the greatest passion killer of all, an undernourished spirit. At its root, passion is a spiritual issue. It's, It's a matter of the heart. So you can't restore your passion with money. You can't restore your passion with sex. You can't restore your passion with self-help programs. You can't restore your passion with anything other than having your heart transformed. Friends, you're more than a body. God gave you a spirit, and he gave you the ability to talk with him and commune with him and to be passionate about him. Every week, there are situations that are going to come into your life that are conspiring to shrink your heart and shrivel your spirit. Situations where people are rude to you. Situations when people criticize you or misjudge you. Situations where you face discouragement and disappointment. If you're alive, you're going to face problems. You're going to face pains. It's going to happen on a regular basis. 
There's going to be situations that you worry about. There's going to be times that you leave home tired in the beginning of the day and come home totally fatigued at the end. And so you're going to have to nourish your spirit. If you don't, your heart will grow cold and hard. If you don't nourish your spirit, it'll shrink up. It'll shrivel up, and you're going to be a crotchety, cranky, grumpy old person that nobody likes. And you don't want that. Listen, friends, I want you to be fully alive until the day you hit the grave. There, there are too many people that die before they actually die. They're alive on the outside, but they're dead on the inside because they let their hearts, they let their spirits shrivel up. Wow, Rob, this is all so good news today, isn't it? So what's the antidote? You have to intentionally nourish and feed your spirit. Colossians 2.6, just as you trusted Christ to save you, trust him too for each day's problems. Live in vital union with him. Let your roots grow down into him and draw up nourishment from him. See to it that you are growing in the Lord and become strong and vigorous. See to it. It doesn't just happen. You have to see to it. If you want to stay passionate, you've got to get plugged into God. You've got to develop a daily, vital, growing, vibrant relationship with Jesus. Spend time with Him. What is the greatest sin for a Christian? If I ask you to write down what is the greatest sin a Christian can commit, we'd probably get a lot of different answers. Maybe you'd say adultery or drug use or child abuse or whatever. Let me just tell you the greatest sin for a Christian is the sin of being lukewarm. Revelation 3.15, Jesus is talking to the church. I know what you do, that you are neither hot or cold. I wish you were hot or cold, but because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm ready to spit you out of my mouth. Jesus said, I wish you were one or the other, hot or cold. I'd rather have you cold than lukewarm. I, I read this verse out of the NIV, which is most Bible versions are pretty polite. The Greek isn't as polite. In, in the, where it says he want to spew you out of my mouth, the original Greek, it says, you make me want to vomit. That's how serious God is about this. Lukewarm makes me sick to my stomach. Jesus says it makes me want to throw up. That's the worst sin for a Christian. Lukewarm, lukewarm is even worse than mellow. C.S. Lewis once said, Kurt quoted this last week, the only thing Christianity cannot be is moderately important. If Jesus is who he says he is, if he saved you from all your sin and he has a wonderful plan for your life and his word is true, then he deserves everything. Friends, God's not just another piece of the pie. He's the whole pie. If that's not true, then let's just close up shop and go home, watch football. The only thing Christianity cannot be is moderately important. Being a casual Christian is an oxymoron. Being a casual Christian is a contradiction in terms. You're either passionate about loving God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength, or you're not. So why aren't you passionate about loving God? Because, because here's the thing, you used to be, 
All new Christians start out passionate. Good news about Jesus. It made you passionate. You were excited when you first learned that your sins were forgiven. You were excited when you first learned that God had a wonderful plan for your life. You were excited when you learned that a place in heaven has been prepared for you for all eternity. When you first learned about these things, you probably wanted to tell everybody you knew. It was the greatest news you ever heard, but as time goes by, we begin to take the benefits for granted. Yeah, my sins are forgiven. Yeah, God's got a purpose for my life. Yeah, I'm going to go to heaven one day. But we begin to take these things for granted. And we begin to lose our passion. Let me just ask you, has there ever been a time in your life you were closer to God than you are right now? Because if you answer yes, I just want to ask you, why have you let that happen? You can't blame anybody else. You're as close to God as you want to be. James 4.8 says this, draw near to God, he will draw near to you. I'm as close to God as I want to be. If I'm not as close to God as I used to be, I can't blame anybody but myself. If you feel that you're far from God, friends, guess who moved? God didn't move. If there's ever been a time you were closer to God, friends, you need to get back on track. Do you want to be closer? Do you want to have your heart warmed again? Do you want to get that spiritual passion flowing again? Do you want to be fully alive in the morning and face each day with new enthusiasm and new hope? What do I do? Well, Revelation Revelation 2 verse 4 first tells us the problem. You have forsaken your first love. That's the problem. You put something else in place of God in your life. You've forsaken your first love, which is God. That's the problem. But it doesn't leave us hanging there. There's a solution for restoring your passion. Next verse, Revelation 2, verse 5. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. Now, I've got three R's for you to write down. The first thing you need to do is remember the height from which you've fallen. Recall the first days, the fresh days of being a new believer, when everything was new and exciting, and you were grateful to God for so many things He'd done in your life. Recall those days when you were spiritually on fire. Friends, I found one of the best techniques for counseling marriages that have gone flat is to ask married couples, what did you do? At the beginning, when you were courting each other, you know, go back and put those things in place. Write them down. Recall them. Remember the height. Second thing, repent. Repent in the Greek means change your mind. And here's what what you need to tell God. God, you're God. I'm not. Loving you and loving people is important. Other things are not as important. Let's get our priorities right. Change your mind. Remember, repent. Number three, repeat. The Scripture says, do the things you did at first. Start nourishing your spirit again. Start spending time in the Bible again. Start telling your friends about Jesus again. Start coming to church every week again. Spend time with other Christians. Get in a small group or at the coffee house or in a Bible study. Get involved in a ministry where you're using your talents to help other people. These things will add balance and health to your life. You've got to nourish your spirit. 
friends, nobody else can do it for you. Nobody else. If you don't nourish it, your spirit's going to shrivel up. Your heart's going to shrink. You're going to grow cold. And ask the band to come. While they're coming, I'm going to ask you to stand. Before we go on, could I just tell you, I love you guys. And I'm not trying to be mean to anybody or step on your toes. I'm trying to help you. But I've got a feeling that there's some people who are in our midst today that are in crisis mode. You know that there's something wrong, but it's just been kind of hard to find out, figure out what it is. Which of these passion killers is robbing you of your joy? Is it an unclear purpose? Has it gotten a little fuzzy for you? You wonder why am I even here? Or maybe it's been years since you used your talents to do the thing God created you to do. Or maybe your schedule is just totally out of whack. You're taking in, you're taking in you're doing your quiet time, you're coming to church, but you're not giving anything out. Or maybe it's just the opposite. You're giving, you're giving, you're giving. You haven't taken anything in. Maybe you lost your passion because you've got an unconfessed sin. You've allowed guilt and shame to build up a barrier. And now the passion you have with God is, it, well, it's been dying. And, and right now before, before this service is over, why don't you just confess that sin? Some of you have lost your passion because of an ongoing conflict. and Maybe it's with your wife or your husband or your kids or at work. And you've allowed resentment or prolonged anger to just choke the passion right out of you. Some of you are living an unsupported life. Some of you have an undernourished spirit. You, the things that we were talking about today. If any of that fits you, and I, I'm assuming some of it does, I've got a prayer that I wrote that I'd like you to pray out loud with me. They're going to put it up on the screen. So this is one of those prayers. It's not every eye closed, every head bowed. This is like every eye open, every head up. As we pray this together. Heavenly Father, I want to have a passion and enthusiasm for life again. I want to get up in the morning looking forward to the day ahead. I want to love you passionately, and I want to love others passionately. I want to be fully alive until the day I die. I ask you, Lord Jesus, to restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Help me to remember all that you've done for me. Thank you for forgiving all my sins. Thank you for creating me for a purpose. Thank you that I'm going to heaven when I die because I've made Jesus the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. I just want to remind you of what the Lord told me before the service even started. He's in a really good mood today. He wants to bless you. He wants to restore passion into your life.